having a good day, we're here to ruin it. I'm Anna. And I'm Jordan. And this is Ruin Your Day. Like a a metal remix. Well, I did get that, so. (laughs) I love it. I hate myself. She was singing the Hokey Pokey before we started. (laughs) It's a very important song. You have to know what you can put in and then what you can pull out. That is most definitely what she said. (laughs) I was waiting for it. I had to build up, you know. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Uh, Uh, Okay, I got to tell you. About what I did yesterday. Okay, good, because then I have to tell you a story that relates to teeing something up and it being swung and hit perfectly. So go. Okay, this has nothing to do with anything. It's just me and my dumb ass. Um, so, <laughs> so yesterday I decided I wanted a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. It was 8.45 at night. Acceptable. You know. So maybe was, a little late. Maybe maybe a little late. I don't know. I was living a little little dangerously. Whoa. Yeah. Loud and free. So I was living a little dangerously. And I wanted a glass of wine. And I, so I got my rosé. Mm-hmm. The, the, this, this bitch ass wine um, okay. that, I, that I'm drinking currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So the rosé that I, that I drink, it has like a kind of like a plastic wrapping on the top you yes. know it is not a normal bottle of wine like yeah. when people think of bottles of wine they think there's a big you know of the big cork this has not no no, no cork it's like a gl- it, it's almost like a, no it is a glass cork like it is a glass cork and you wrap it yeah mm-hmm. so it's bougie not really but anyway um so i had to get the plastic off <laughs> and i didn't know how else to do it other than getting a steak knife and just stabbing it Uh, i know i know um so i did that and i knew i could sense the danger in that senses. yeah but i did it anyway and then i and then i uh proceeded to slice my finger open honey no so just for those of you who can't see she's missing a finger (laughs) just kidding no that's not true but i am missing a good hunk of skin on it so um yeah so i I called my mom in a panic last night i was like what do i do and she was like just put pressure on it if it keeps bleeding after like so long go to the er it's it's not a big deal it's okay i was like okay i'm just gonna die so mom if you don't hear from me i love you um i think it's funny that like your reaction versus my reaction to something like this. So I did re- recently like cut. Now I nicked it. Like it's like baby, right? Like, right. Nicked it. But I like went down and I was like, oh man, cut my finger. Well, I should wash that off before the onion juice gets in it. And then I'm in real trouble. But I also feel like that's a little bit about being raised like in like on a farm. Oh, well, I mean, I, I just have never like cut myself like that before. Like you, I get cat scratches and, and I... Literally, you had a time. you had a cat, not a cat, your cat, <laughs> bop you in the face <laughs> and cause a scratch around your eye, and you were like, "Just another day in paradise." You know, it doesn't phase me. The cat scratches don't phase me anymore. But the steak knife, literally almost sticking out of my knuckle, kind of did phase me a little bit. And I didn't like cry or anything. I just was like, "Hey, uh, so." I did this. Your what do I do? Literally falling off. Hey, mom, can you help? Can you uh, help me out here? So she was I've like, got a question. Uh, so, in conclusion, dumbassery and its purest form, <laughs> like just true. Don't use a steak knife to open plastic wrappings on a wine bottle. That is my PSA for everyone. Just don't do it. Just don't do it because you will feel your spidey senses going off, and then you'll ignore it. And then bad things will happen. <laughs> bad things. Real bad. Real bad. So <laughs> that's what I'm dealing with right now. That's okay. It do be like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, Mia's also mad at me because she's currently wearing a harness. Y'all, <laughs> when I tell you this cat wearing a harness is probably the new thing I needed in my life. <laughs> I walk in to this apartment and she comes army crawling out of Anna's room wearing the harness. Like she doesn't know that she can extend her legs completely up. And then we had a, yes, we did. We had a very um, tense moment where I was laying on the couch next to Anna and she jumped up and like 
loafed right next to me. And I was like, what do I do? I don't want to touch anything. I don't want to move. I don't want to breathe. <laughs> but yeah, she like army crawls everywhere now. And it's the best thing. Also, let's be really honest. Let's let's just take a, a page out of the honesty book. Okay. Mia is fluffy. She, and, and not it's just not, fur. It's not just fur. She's a bit... She's a chunk. Like let's she's be a honest. chunk. She's a little, but yeah. I love it. But this harness, in comparison, <laughs> like okay, <laughs> really, I'm gonna post a picture later because it kind like her skin and her fur kind of melt over the harness. Like it's not too. Like I promise, I promise, I'm not abusing my cat. Like it's not too tight. I've like loosened it and and tightened it like five thousand times. I know it's not hurting her. She's just dramatic as fuck. And but it it truly just kind of over the harness like pretty much it, oh it looks like she has a shirt on that's too tight mia <laughs> and now she's asleep on for my so ladies dramatic. out there you know when you like wear a bra that maybe is a little too tight in the band area <laughs> gives you some loop over yeah. on your back yeah or, uh, yeah. or i raise you this mm-hmm. early 2000s low-rise jeans oh god yeah Oh God! Black war flashbacks. I think I just. I think I have PTSD from the early two thousands. This is not uh, a good time. Fashion. Not a good time for women. And and I think it's funny that Gen Zs. I'm gonna call y'all out, but y'all are making fun of us in our like high rise skinny jeans and how we refuse to let them go. Let me tell you something. Let me just let me just lay this out for y'all. Get them. When we was growing up, and we were trying to figure out our own bodies. And we hated ourselves. We hated everybody around us. <laughs> we hated everything that was. Yes. Because we had these celebrities and these supermodels wearing low-rise jeans. And we thought, and we're told, that's how your body has to look mm-hmm. in the jeans. Mm-hmm. Well, then you got normal prepubescent Jordan and then pubescent Jordan. Mm-hmm. Who is like attempt? Who matured? Like my body matured a lot faster than a lot of people be calling me. I'm trying to have society. She was on her soapbox. I was on my soapbox. Anyway, <clears throat> let me get back on it. Okay. <laughs> then you had prepubescent and pubescent Jordan, whose body grew a lot faster and developed a lot faster than a lot of other kids but I'm trying to fit into the low-rise jeans, but mama got a muffin top because I got voluptuous hips for days. And then when I finally figured out that I could wear high-rise jeans, tuck in the fupa, (laughs) but look great. And also like all of a sudden I had confidence because I found jeans that fit me. And Mm -hmm. then you Gen Gen Zers are coming along and being like, that is so not in fashion. And you part your hair to the side (laughs) and you like can't get rid of your you know, binding, unbreathable uh, jeans. You know what? I have seen some shit. <laughs> We've been through hell and back. I, we have been through hell and back. We deserve to wear our skinny jeans, our skinny high rise jeans, and we deserve not to be ridiculed for it. So leave us alone and go attack some boomers. Like seriously, I, you can pry high rise skinny jeans and the side part out of my cold, dead fucking hands. Like I will mm-hmm. never, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking be 80 and I'll be rocking that side part. Everyone else will be bald. Like I'll just like, I don't care what the trend is. I'm going to be having a side part. Mm. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I have one today, but I'm hair washing today. So I might do a little part. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. You know what? The hair one I get, but my hair has been trained a certain way. So now I'm having to train it a, a different way. I, the jeans though, that is the, the, where I draw the line. No. That is the hill I die. I on. will die on that hill. I'll, st- I'll still die on the side part thing. I'll, you know what? Okay. So when I got my haircut, like it's, it's, it was short, it's growing out now, but it was like shoulder length. They tried to part it in the side uh, in the middle. I looked like fucking Lord Farquaad. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. When my hair was straight, straight, I looked like Lord Farquaad. Some of you may die, but that is a willing, that is a cost I am willing to take. <laughs> truly, truly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know what? It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Um, I am vain. Her voice is saying one thing, but her eyes are saying another. Uh, Which, shockingly enough, is the second time that I've uttered that statement this week. <laughs> 
If anyone wants to know how that this week is going. On brand, yeah. That's on brand. (sighs) Oh, I wanted to tell my tea-up story. Oh, yes, please. Okay, so we all know I work for the government, and I work in... Anyway, (laughs) I'm not going to say any more than that. Incognito. Incognito. But um, so the portion in of the government that I work in is very gossipy and very much like a high school. Like yeah. everyone knows who everyone is sleeping with. Everyone knows. Um, and this is like different entities, not just like within my agency, like, but everyone knows what everyone else is doing, who's hired, who's been fired, who's got the latest scandal. Like it is right. the thing, right? Well, it's a smaller kind of sect of the government, right? Like, yeah. Like in comparison to like other, yes. you know, stuff. Literally when you walk into the cafe, it's like the scene from uh, Mean Girls mm-hmm. where they're like, <laughs> you've got the jocks and then you've got the smart jocks and then you've got the, the, the geeks and then you've got the nerds and then you've got the cool girls and then you've got the semi-cool, like all that. And you've got the greatest people you'll ever meet. meet. <laughs> you see me flash there. <laughs> So that is, I mean, truly that's what it is. So anyway, so, and because it's got, it's, it's gossipy, it's also like inherently like, um, like sexual scandals are really big. Okay. Yeah. So everyone likes to make jokes and they also like to pull like a, that's what she said or that's what he said moments all the time. Seriously, I work (laughs) with children. So we, uh, my boss and I were going through, um, we were we were going through kind of like the remaining things that we had to get done mm-hmm. and we were in the area and he he goes he was like you know going through and i said well you know taking we've got a we've got some an eight o'clock, eight o'clock meeting tomorrow and i was like oh i took care i was like so i took care of i'm gonna name i'm gonna rename the person that i talked to her name is gonna be carrie in this story mm-hmm. so it's like oh yeah i got to carrie and i took care of everything she needed i took care of her don't you even worry and he goes oh yeah How'd you take care of her, Jordan? She like it? And I was like, I will kill you. I will kill you right here, right now. No one will find your body. Keep going. He was like, I'm just saying, you set that one. I was like, I know I set that one up. I don't need you to call attention to it. I need you to be a professional for five seconds. He was like, no, I will not. (laughs) You know what? People always think you grow up and you, you become mature when you, you join the work, but you don't. You don't. You don't. You're a bunch of children. No, it gets worse. It gets like, truly worse. You are more, you censor yourself more as a child or as a teenager than you do as an adult. Truly. And so it's just, that's what she said. And that's what he said. Sexual innuendos all, all the time. Day. And it's hilarious. I mean, obviously you have, I've been working with him for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So it's like not even weird right? anymore. It's just fun. like we were at lunch with some, a friend of ours took us to lunch. Oh boy. This is my new favorite story. <laughs> a bunch of us took us to lunch and he's, so my boss is sitting next to me. I'm like, just for some background, he and I have, we've, it's almost been three years of working together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like connected to the hip multiple times like throughout like like all the time we travel together like very good friends right so we're sitting next to each other and he orders i order a water he orders an unsweet iced tea and then he leans that he'd been sassy and then he leans over and he goes can i have some sugar <laughs> which is a have you never has yeah. no one ever okay yeah who has he wanted like the sugar packets and i was like no and he goes <laughs> I mean, not that kind of sugar. Can I have some actual sugar? And I was like, the answer is still no. He was like, please. And our friend looked at us and he goes, do I need to like get HR involved right now? I I got it. I need to call Do I need to call you? Think twice if you're in danger. Actually, I did have someone else one, like three weeks ago, be like, Jordan, blink twice if you were being abused. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> like I double blinked. <laughs> I was gonna say for those of you who can't see us, which is all of you, uh, she double blinked. I double blinked. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh my god. So yeah. Needless to say, it's been fun. It's been a fun couple of months. I've forgotten what sleep is. Sleep is for the week. <clears throat> it is. I'll sleep when I'm dead. All That's that good stuff. All like, of that. All of that. Mm-mm-mm. I don't even know. I don't even know. But. Yeah, that's all I have. Wow. 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 
So, ooh. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I kind of want to get into my story because there's a lot there. And um, oh, I, I was I was wondering how long this is going to be. Um, actually, I feel like you'll be very proud. My notes are only four pages. Ooh, wow. How? I know. How? Girl, I've cut a lot out. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go. Yeah. So, um, so f- uh, for those of you who haven't read the title <laughs> and are now listening, who just Surprise. pressed play, you know what? Surprise. <laughs> um, we are talking about the um, invasion of the compound, the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas, um, and the fire that resulted from it. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna go through all that. Oh. Oh, dad. And um, I just want to say there's fair warning. There are a lot of names, but I will try to be as clear as possible, like names of cities, organizations and people. And it can get a little confusing. So if I if you at any point get confused, please let me know. I got you. Thank you. I also want to say my sources are Britannica.com, theadventist.org and history.com. Woo. Which I also think is really funny. I was like, I'm talking about Waco, Texas, and Britannica is my number one source. Okay. Also, can I just point out, you have done three stories in a row that have taken place in Texas. Yes, I have. Alamo, Kenneth McDuff, Waco. <laughs> I love Texas. You know what? You're just going to be our, our Texas. God bless Texas. Or with something his like own that. hands. <laughs> you know what? You may all go to hell, and I will go to Texas. Amen. Da- da- the book of Davy Crockett. Like, yes. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, Waco, Texas. So the city of Waco is in McLennan County, which is uh, north central Texas. And Waco lies along the Brazos River about 100 miles south of Dallas. It was founded in 1849 on a site of a Waco Indian village near a Texas Ranger fort in a farming and plantation area. Wait, so Waco is the name of a Native American uh, tribe? Is that what it said? believe it was a village it was the name of a village oh I so i don't know if it's like okay. a tribe name or if it was like just the that particular village name was waco okay and i didn't know that i didn't either i was like oh so very interesting wow, wow. <laughs> so after the civil war waco was known for being a cattle crossing city over the river and later on in its economy um it was based almost entirely on cotton Okay. So the the river, and you have to go over the river to get like through Waco on I-35. And so, yeah, uh, back in the day, they would cross cattle over there as they would go further to like the Dallas-Fort Worth area where the trains were mm-hmm. to then go to the different locations in the U.S. Right. I know about cattle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in the 2010s, Waco experienced a major econ- economic boom in tourism because of the insanely popular HGTV show, Fixer Upper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite stories about Fixer Upper, just really quickly, they were doing a show, or we were watching an episode, and Joanna's sitting in the car with her husband, they're driving, and she goes, I just love McGregor. It's got such a small town feel. <laughs> I like looked at my mom and was like, cause it is a small oh, town. Yes. It's not a suburb of yeah. Waco. Waco doesn't have suburbs. It's a small town. McGregor is its own entity. <laughs> I was like, what is happening right now? And also McGregor is like a blip on the map. It does. It not only like, uh, yeah, I'm insulted right now. McGregor is it is a small town, Jojo. I know. I was like, I'm sorry. Why? I'm just. I, I don't mean to yell at you, Jojo. I do love you, but McGregor is its own entity. Yeah, leave it's, it alone. It's not a Waco suburb. Leave it alone. Uh, Waco is also home to Baylor University. Regum. <laughs> <laughs> God bless. Um, and is about twenty a twenty minute drive from my hometown. Yay. Yay. Um, Though Waco is considered a relatively peaceful town, it has known its fair share of death and violence. One such event was the 51-day standoff between federal agents and the Branch Davidian. Yikes. So now I'm going to jump. So keep keep Waco in mind. (laughs) Waco. Now we're going to take a trip. We're going to take a journey. Okay. Victor Hotef, or Hotef, or Hotef. I don't really know how to say the last name. That guy. But Victor. Victor. Was born in Rosovo, Bulgaria, on March 2nd, 1885. And stay with me. (laughs) 
Stay with me. Did you see my eyes glaze over? You were like, wait, <laughs> what the hell are we doing in Bulgaria? Wait a damn minute. Wait a damn minute. Did I black out for a month or something? Or we in a different store? Okay. You did. We're oh. back. Oh, okay. All right. I'm ready. Okay. After, so he was born in Bulgaria. After being attacked by an armed mob in 1907, he was forced out of Bulgaria and found himself in America without a dime. But he was considered to be a keen businessman and soon found work and um, not long after started his own business. Okay. In 1919, Victor became a member of the Seventh-day Adventist or SDA church, which is which at the time was experiencing radical changes in the aftermath of the death of their founder and prophet Ellen G. White. Mm. So without going into too many details about the Seventh-day Adventists, um, it's important to know that they accepted the Bible as their only source for their beliefs, and they considered their movement to be a result of the Protestant conviction sola sculptura, or scriptura, meaning the Bible was the only standard of faith and practice for Christians. Okay. So during Hotef's first 10 years um, in Adventism, um, he became an avid student of the Bible and the writings of Ellen White. Also during this time, he became well acquainted with the history and teachings of the denomination, as well as um, the increasingly Christless condition in which it had fallen. Victor was a Sabbath school teacher at the Exposition Park Church of Los Angeles in California when, in 1929, M.L. Anderson, who was one of the most prominent Adventist theologians at the time, came out with the Sabbath school quarterly called the called Isaiah the Gospel Prophet. It, I keep st- keep staying with me. Okay, I'm I'm with you so far. There's just a lot of names. There's I know. There's a lot of names. Promise. Okay. <clears throat> So in 1930, Hotev published The Shepherd's Rod, which was a manuscript that called for the church to wake up before the second coming of Christ and return to some teachings and practices that it had left behind. In 1935, Hotev had organized the movement, then known as the Shepherd's Rod Seventh-day Adventist, and moved the organizational headquarters to just outside Waco, Texas, where he established what became known as the Mount Carmel Center. This is starting to... Oh. Huh. What's happening? Ooh. Ooh. Ah. So, um, Hotif died in 1955 and was succeeded by his wife, Florence. She not only continued his attempts to discern the signs of the end time, um, but also set April 22nd, 1959 as the date of the dawn of the uh, new... Um, messianic age which is the like the coming of the messiah okay i was like wait a second what (laughs) sat word messianic (laughs) she was wrong um and uh, she was wrong about this and soon after the date had passed um she disbanded the group so because she was wrong people like revolted against her so she disbanded it okay so the branch davidians are one of several groups that continued the work of victor hotef they lived a simple life and avoided most commercial forms of entertainment. The hardworking community became self-sustaining and its literature circled into a growing group of believers across the country. Hmm. One of the factions opposed to Florence's leadership was led by Ben Roden, who had previously called the Davidians to get off the dead rod and move on to the living branch. So okay. like leave Shepherd's Rod, go to Branch Davidians. Okay. Roden gained control of Mount Carmel and established the General Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventists after Lawrence after Florence sold the land. So she after she like disbanded the group, she sold the land and then uh Ben took it over. Okay. Uh, Roden called his members to a pure life and promised that Christ would soon re- would uh, soon return after the members reached a state of moral maturity. When Roden died in 1978, members were torn between um, allegiance to his wife Lois and his son George. Lois found an ally in a young convert, Vernon Howell, but her death in 1986 left George in control. Within the year, however, Howell had asserted his leadership and became and became the head of the Mount Carmel community. So it's 
this place is changing hands like all the time. Yeah. What what year is this? I'm sorry. This is in 1986. Okay. Okay. Um. So Hal quickly moved to assert his spiritual authority, and one of his first acts was the adoption of a new name, David Koresh. Oh, <laughs> there he is. Good there, old David. There's the light bulb. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. This name suggested that he was the spiritual heir of the biblical king David and that he, like Koresh, was a messianic figure, though not the Messiah Jesus. Okay. So it was like he was like a prophet almost. Yes. Yeah. So he basically like he's a prophet, but he's not Jesus. Okay. Which I can appreciate a, a cult leader who's like, listen, I'm not Jesus, <laughs> but I'm pretty damn close. We besties. We br- we best friends on Snapchat. Like you know, you just hear the Doja Cat. That's my best friend. <laughs> You just hear that plane. <laughs> Jesus walks in. Hey. Jesus like, that's my best friend. <laughs> They're like oh. deep into worship. <laughs> They're in the service and he just walks in. He's like, what up? I'm here. I'm here. Y'all didn't believe him. But you about to learn. Oh God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Jesus like, what? You, you know what? I, I feel like in real, in real life, Jesus would be down for that. Mm-hmm. 100%. He would just pop. It'd be like, you know, that gif of the girl walking on stage and she's got like a purse and she's like, ah. Yes. You know, and she's, that, that's Jesus. Like, I'm here. Hey, what's up? Surprise. Hi. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Koresh thought that the end time was imminent and suggested that in his commentary on Revelations, quote, so the question remains, what are the seven seals? And the answer remains a revelation of Jesus Christ in uh, Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass in quote. Okay. And I don't know about you, but when I hear stuff like that, it hurts my head. I just think of Supernatural, like the show Supernatural. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know how, like, you watched it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the four, I think it's like the four season when they have to, like, stop the demons from, you know, like opening the seals so that Satan can come back. And it's just like, it's a whole thing. I just, that's what I think of. Like, I know, like, Jesus and Satan, different things. I'm not saying, leave me alone. But yes, yes. The, the same, just the very, except instead of trying to stop the seals, Koresh trying is trying to, to open, open them. them. Yeah. Like, that just, the, the, the image stands like it's yes. very like mystical and supernatural sounding to me. Oh, yes. Um, so Koresh exercised his new authority by taking several spiritual wives among the group's unmarried members. Ah, see, there it is. There it is. There it is. See, you know, there okay. So just, I'm going to go off on a tirade real quick. Um, okay. have you watched the show Waco? It's on Netflix. No, but I need to. Okay. It's really good. I haven't, I've only like a couple episodes done and it's really good. Um, Taylor, you know who Taylor Kitsch is? Did you watch Friday Night Lights? Yes. He's, uh, Tim Riggins. Yeah. The good looking one. He plays David Koresh. Ooh. And he is awesome. Awesome in it. But anyway, I I was watching it and I was like, okay, so everything's like cool. Like they're just minding their own business. And then the child bride shows up and I was like, ah, there it is. Oh yeah. Cause they're all like. 12 and 13 yeah, when like, he marries them. Yeah. Like literal children. Literal, like not just like 16, children. 17 year olds, like who are also children, like mind you, but actual like, like children. pubescent children. Pre, some pre pubescent. Yeah. So, yes. So there it is. In um in 1989, he asserted that he was the perfect mate for all female members and confided to the Davidians his intention to create a new lineage for children who believed, uh, who he believed would eventually rule the world. Hashtag you know, men are trash. I, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's correct. I just don't think that that's right, Mr. Koresh. Listen. I'd like to offer a rebuttal. And just say, no. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> End of rebuttal. Listen, no. to the men out there, if you think that you are God's gift to women, you're not. You're not. You know what is God's gift to women? What? 
queso. <laughs> you know what? That's true. That's fair. She is she wrong? Looks Did at she the jury. stutter? Looks Did at the she jury. stutter? Like <laughs> the defense rests. The defense rests. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. So because Koresh's spiritual wives were teenagers, the and preteens. Um, the community was accused of child abuse by a former member and an anti-cult activist. Those allegations were aired in a 1992 trial in which the ex-member sought custody of his daughter. So his daughter was one of the brides, mm-hmm. child brides. Mm-hmm. Um, that coupled with Koresh's launch, uh, launching of a retail gun business, the child abuse charges began to attract the attention of legal authorities. No good. No yeah. good. You got child brides, got massive amounts, amounts of guns. Listen, I'm not trying to tell criminals how to run their life, <laughs> but if you have guns plus child brides, it's going to equal federal investigations. You know Investigators unsophisticated in the apocalyptic, apocalyptic language of the Bible adopted by the group, also worried that the Branch Davidians might attack their neighbors or even Waco while fulfilling the imagined end-time scenario. Mm. So it was like a perfect swirly, swirly storm. Yeah. Oh, yes. So, early in 1993, the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearm Uh, ATF agents in Texas requested and received an arrest warrant for Koresh and a search warrant for Mount Carmel, but decided to make a surprise force entry rather than serve the warrant, which like, when does that make sense? It doesn't. It just like at this point, he's just one guy. And I know that I, there's a whole other like background to this that I, I know kind of goes into play here with ATF. Like, I don't know if you, if you, you might've seen this like in your research, there was another standoff with ATF um, in, I cannot remember. It was like Idaho mm-hmm. and I cannot remember the name of the place, but it was like this whole thing where this guy was living off the grid and was kind of practicing some unusual things. And it like, I mean, it was just bad. It ended very badly for ATF. So yes. they were at this point trying to like, you know, regain the public's favor. That's not how you do it. No, no, this no, no, is, no, no. This no. whole scenario is not how you do it. No, not good. And it's just like David Koresh is one guy at this point. Like, I don't even, did they know that he had the guns? Yeah. So they knew okay. he had guns and they knew that he had the child brides okay. at this so, point. Okay. So maybe they were freaked out by him having all that. Yeah. Those guns. But still. You like, have a search warrant not and an arrest warrant. You, like, you just like knock on the door. They're not going to know yeah. that you're coming. You can just arrest him and call it a day. Oh, yeah. It was bad. So um, on February 28th, 1993, more than 70 ATF agents raid, raided the compound. Gunfire erupted, and th- though it is uncertain who fired first. Yeah. And during the two-hour battle, four federal agents were killed and dozens more injured. In addition, six Divinians reportedly died. Wow. Um, so nearly and so that so on that day is what started that 51 day standoff and Ugh. nearly four or nearly 900 law enforcement officials descended on the compound including FBI hostage negotiators i have so many feelings about this i'm sorry i'm going to go on so many tirades i'm going to try to no, no, keep it's to okay. minimum, but it's just like there are children in here mm-hmm. there are children mm-hmm. um like like not only like the child brides, but like the mm-hmm. children of the child brides are in here. Mm-hmm. Like he had kids with the like, so there are like little small little babies running around. Yeah, and they're just shooting into yeah. this building. Ugh. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Why? Uh, okay. So during the phone calls, Koresh engaged in quote Bible babble end quote mm-hmm. and threatened violence. Though he stated neither he nor his followers were suicidal. Okay. Hmm. Um, on April 18th, U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno approved a tear gas assault on the compound, and at approximately 6 a.m. on April 19th, the Branch Davidians were informed of the imminent attack and, or, and asked to surrender, which they refused to do. 
A few minutes later, two FBI combat vehicles inserted, began inserting gas into the building and were joined by uh, Bradley tanks, which fired tear gas canisters through the compound's windows. The Branch Davidians, many with gas masks on, refused to evacuate, and by 11.40 a.m., the last of some 100 tear gas canisters were fired onto the compound. Oh, my God. Isn't that insane? A hundred yeah. tear gas canisters at one time? In, in like, it's not like this compound is giant. No, it's not. If you've seen pictures of it, I mean, it's just like... So it's like all in this building. Yeah, like one building. It's not like it's a bunch of, you know, and they're all holed up in this one building. Yeah, it's not like they're tear gas outside. It's in a building. Oh, my God. Yeah. Holy shit. Just after noon, a fire erupted at one or more locations on the compound, and minutes later, nine Divinians fled the rapidly spreading blaze. Koresh and at least 80 of his followers, including 22 children, died during the federal government's second disastrous assault on Mount Carmel. Holy shit. Oh, yes. Wow. Following the ill-fated ATF raid in in February of 1993 and the subsequent FBI raid and fire two months later that destroyed Mount Carmel, extensive internal investigations were conducted by the ATF and the FBI followed by public hearings by both the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate. The agency reports and hearings sought to place blame for the deaths, and several agents were disciplined for improper actions. Mm. And I'm not going to, while I don't agree with Koresh, I agree with those with that. Oh, I absolutely. agree that it should have been investigated and people should be held to blame because there are so many ways that this could have gone differently. Well, it, the other thing that was going on during this, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but so that so that one standoff, and I, I, again, I forget where it happened or what the name of it was, but that happened, and ATF mm-hmm. handled it poorly, mm-hmm. poorly. But 20 years before that, you got Jonestown, where oh, yeah. where no one did anything. Oh yeah, no one did anything, and I mean, not that like really. I mean, I guess at that point, I don't really know the whole details of what law enforcement was doing at the time of Jonestown, but I don't really know if they could do anything because they were down in you know. South America or somewhere. Right. So I'm not, I'm not sure what they could have done, but the point is nothing was done. Right. So, you know, the FBI and ATF are overcorrecting. Yes. The pendulum swung the opposite way. And so I, I, while I understand like where the mindset was, execution was poor. Oh yeah. And that is an understatement. So very poor. Yeah. So in August of 99, the U.S. government admitted that federal agents had indeed fired flammable material into or near the Branch Davidian compound prior to the massive fire. Oh, Jesus. U.S. Attorney General then called for another investigation and a new set of hearings on the case that would be headed by a special count by special counsel John Danforth, a former U.S. senator. Mm-hmm. In July of 2000, Danforth issued a preliminary report that absolved the U.S. government of any wrongdoing in its encounter with the Branch Davidians. The few survivors of the raid were tried in court. They were, they were found not guilty of murder of the ATF agents, but received lengthy jail sentences for their actions during and after the raid. All nine have been released um, by 2013. They were all released two decades after the Waco disaster. Wow. The remaining survivors, um, some 25 in number, reorganized and published writings of Koresh and began the process of rebuilding the movement. That was going to be my next question, yeah. was if they were still like yeah. in it. By the, end of, um, by the end of the 90s, it had more than doubled in size, but still there was no clear leadership um, of the group. And then as I was doing more research today, I saw that there might be like maybe 100 of them in Texas, but like that was in 2013. So that yeah. was almost 10 years ago itself. So it could have gone so, one of two ways. It could have grown exponentially at this point and they're mm-hmm. just quiet like i don't really you don't hear anything about the branch dividends or they've dissipated completely who knows yeah um, if you know or if you are part of the branch dividends please shoot us an email i would love to know i would more. love to hear about what you're dealing with right now and so actually interestingly enough 
so I'm reading a book right now and uh-huh. actually it's in my purse and I want to go pull it real quick because I remembered this as uh-huh. I was like reading through my notes. So the book that I'm reading is, um, it basically teaches you how to be a negotiator. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were telling me about this and one. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. And I'll get it and tell you the title and the author and everything, but he was an FBI negotiator. Yeah. And he talks about the Waco event. So oh, like, give me, give me just a second. Let me go like get it real quick. Go get it. So the book is called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. And it's by Chris Foz. And Chris Foz is a former FBI um, negotiator. And he's like, he's like the, nego- like he, when you talk, when he like talks about like the things that he's been on, wow. he is like one of the lead negotiators on like anti-terrorist uh, teams. He's like been all over the world, like Holy. crazy stuff. And his book is amazing. But I want to try and find this real quick. So one second. She turns the page. She turns another page. I will actually hurt you. <laughs> but I like I have, highlighted I it. I have my guard cat over here. <laughs> Your guard cat is still trying to figure out what's wrong with her harness. <laughs> Mia. Mia. <laughs> At least she hasn't been tormenting us this time. That's fair. Oh. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Okay. Um, after Ruby Ridge and Waco, and the, sorry, this is an excerpt from this book. Ruby Ridge. Is that what it was Ruby called? Ruby Ridge. Yes. Thank okay. you. So there you go. Okay. So Ruby Ridge. Everything's thank you. being tied together. So after Ruby Ridge and Waco, a lot of people were asking um, the question, like, where he said the question that he poses beforehand for all these like federal agents who like are negotiators, like, are we morons essentially because we can't negotiate, right? <laughs> yeah. So U.S. Deputy um, Attorney General Philip Heyman, Philip B. Heyman, to be specific, wanted to know why our hostage negotiation techniques were so bad. In October of 93, um, he issued a report titled Lessons of Waco, Proposed Changes in Law in Federal Law Enforcement, end quote, which summarized an expert panel panel's diagnosis of federal enforcement's inability to handle complex hostage um, situations. As a result, in 1949, sorry, in 1994, there we go. dyslexic. Wow. In 1994, FBI Director Louis Freach, or Free, but there's an H there, sorry. Louis Free announced the formation of the Critical Incident Response Group, a blended division that would combine crisis negotiation, crisis management, behavioral sciences, and hostage rescue teams and, re- and reinvent crisis negotiation. The only issue, what techniques were we going to use? Ah, it's amazing. I am this far through. I'm on chapter seven. Wow. Anyway. So I read that and I was like, oh. So basically, Ruby Ridge and um, Waco, like the shit that went down here and how mm-hmm. horribly it was handled, it has it changed how negotiations are run now. As it should. Like they were doing like, um, I'll play hardball and not give up anything. Whereas yeah. like now they take more of like a behavioral like science, like they, they, they put in they like tap into like psychology and and um all of these different like behavioral sciences to like like go in it's almost like you think it's like going in like through a back door but they're like getting in your head essentially well it's it sounds like kind of what they were doing before just kind of based off what you were saying is like they had one game one card to play like the only one way to do it and then that that was it if it didn't work whatever yeah it, did, it didn't work um but now they're kind of like learning figuring out how to cater like mm-hmm. each person like i mean for lack of better terms they're like customizing it to each right person like they they get into their head and they figure out what's going to get this guy out of here exactly so, and like what's going to de-escalate the situation right. the most so right. i thought that was very interesting, very interesting that like pulled from that as well um but yeah that is like the quick and dirty on Waco and like what happened. Um, and I, I was talking to actually, I was talking to my aunt about this. So, you know, like I said, my hometown is 20 minutes from there. Well, my, um, my dad, my mom's side too, like both of my parents grew up in the area as Mm -hmm. well. One Mm -hmm. in Temple and one in Belton. My aunt remembers going to, I don't know if she was going to work or she was going, she was going somewhere. And she she saw it. She saw oh. the fire. 
Like, oh, it was a huge fire. It was giant. giant. I mean, you it was see a pictures. whole building was on fire. Yeah. Um, so she remembers very clearly like going and she remembers seeing it. And then I think my mom made a comment like she remembers watching it happen on TV, yeah. essentially. Yeah. It, it was, if you're from this area, you know someone who knows somebody at, mm-hmm. the, at the very least who was either there or knew someone who was there, you know? So mm-hmm. my mom actually, who's not really from the area, but she's, you know, she's an attorney, she's in law enforcement. So she knew somebody, I don't know how exactly she knew him, but he was there at the initial, um, like shootout. Oh, and so like the one in February? I think it was the one in February. I think okay. it was the initial one. Like oh, he was shit. like, I don't know, like, you know what his part in it was, but he was, he's not in law enforcement anymore. And she, she told me, she's like, I don't know if it was because of this, like he quit or if it was, you know, just kind of shortly after wow. that was when he retired. But yeah, he was there. Wow. So yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Well, and it's just like, it's just crazy. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, there was a in Waco the the TV show that I was telling you about. I I don't know how accurate this is, but there is a there's an image they keep playing like in their intro, mm-hmm. and um, it was like there was one guy who was who like kind of infiltrated it, like he was in you know um uh secret agent. Yeah, like he was um I don't know how, I don't forget what the word is. Um, mm-hmm. Fuck. And he was there. He was there like in disguise, basically, like pretending he was part of it. And he kind I think of that's secret agent. Secret agent something. <laughs> yeah, I don't he was a spy. No, anyway. He was a spy. But I think he was an I think he was either an ATF or he was FBI. And he kind of got to know these people. And I think that he didn't really necessarily sympathize with them, but he understood they were like, like there were children here and there were humans. Yeah. Um, and there was an again, there's an image that they play in the intro of him running down the street trying to like stop the law enforcement. Oh my god. Like just like stop it. There are kids in there. They've got, you know, they've got guns too. Like, you know, stop. Yeah. Like, don't do this. And so it's just like it's just sad. Like, yeah. oh, you know? And I'm not, I'm gonna say this. I, I didn't read anything about that scenario taking place but i can also i can understand if that did take place or even if it is you know creative license like that makes sense like do i agree with their practices no no do i believe they deserve basic human decency and and not to be harmed by law enforcement exactly Uh, yes tale as old as time Yeah, like just because you're a criminal doesn't mean cops aren't supposed to kill those who you're are not, guilty you're either pol- you're a police officer you're not an executioner like that's not your job i had and a really long conversation about this with my intern adore her this is all very timely and like yes i mean we see it time and time again throughout history of like law enforcement thinking that they are invincible and they will not be held to any standards and they won't be held accountable for their actions. So they will just go forth and cause so much damage that lasts decades. Yeah. And, and, and and we can see that some good came out of this. The silver lining is that there was a critical review done of these agencies, these federal agencies, and it changed the way they approach hostage situations and crisis situations and that is a good thing what is sad is it took such a devastating loss to get there and that unfortunately in america is the only way good change happens is when it comes from something detrimental and it it shouldn't be that way no it shouldn't and you know what it's Anna's going to get on our soapbox again. We've still, we still suffer these detrimental losses and nothing changes. Yes, nothing changes. Nothing changes. I mean, we're looking at what's going on in fucking Minnesota right now. Mm-hmm. Like everything's going, you know, the same stuff that happened mm-hmm. last year is happening again and nothing is changing. Nothing is changing. Nothing, and, not a single thing has changed. And it's, you know, how much more I did see a thing today or not today, yesterday um, that I was like, I'm doing from now on. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, talking about police brutality. Um, and it said, if you see a cop pull over a minority person, mm-hmm. you better stop and watch. And you better watch until a cop gets back into his car and drives away. Yep. I saw the same thing and I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm with doing you. it. Yeah. Because first of all, it's not that I don't, it's not that I don't think that cops or law enforcement are important. I think they need to understand they're not invincible. Exactly. They need to, they it, need to be held accountable exactly. for their actions. And it's not just a few bad apples. 
Yeah. It's a bunch. It's a, it's a bunch of them. And it's a it's, bunch of bad apples. And it's like, I saw this compare comparison whenever, um, you know, all the, the George Floyd stuff was happening and it was like you know you talk about how it's oh it's just a couple of cops well you don't say that about like a couple of bad pilots flying a plane you better not have a bad pilot flying your plane or you're all going down literally same thing with a cop you don't want a bad cop you get you have a bad cop you get him the fuck out of there yeah so you don't know i don't don't take them under disciplinary action and then let them go back right back in absolutely not uh no no i don't buy that bullshit Mm-mm. Get them out of here. Like, get them out. Goodbye. Yeah. And it's, it's like well, there said. needs to be total reform. Exactly. I, and I think that goes for law enforcement across oh, levels. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I 100% agree. It's not, it's not just like one department, one agency. They all need some sort of overhaul. Yes. And I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not going to tell you how to do it because I have no idea how to do it, but I do think that there needs to be some sort of change. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I think more reset more resources need to be allocated towards proper education. Mm-hmm. And when I say education, I mean like the laws that they're supposed to be holding us accountable to, they also need to be held accountable to it. I think there needs to be proper evaluations. Absolutely. And if you note it and and I mean performance evaluations, psych evaluations, mm-hmm. I think there needs to be if you see a trend happening, like there needs to be steps taken. Now what that looks like disciplinary wise I'm not sure I don't have that answer but there has got to be something's got to give something's got to go because we are so polarized right now and 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 the reason why a lot of the rhetoric is so and I've said this you know as it relates to gender issues recently as well but the reason why the rhetoric is so violent around racial discrimination and police brutality is because that is our way of saying something that's got such high shock value that you have to stop and listen Uh because if you don't say something that is so outrageous you won't be heard anymore exactly and so we have to talk like that and we have to continue to have those kinds of conversations and then we also have to hold the people who don't believe that accountable for their thoughts and their actions and we have to challenge them in a respectable and a um constructive way because if you don't they will shut down yeah and even then unfortunately they They will still shut down yeah i i had this conversation again it was when the george when george floyd was um murdered 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 mm-hmm. um you know it was a couple months after that and it came and i remember i was sitting at work and it was like a boring day and we just were kind of sitting on our computers i think somebody was on yahoo and they kind of someone popped up and said oh it looks like um george floyd was like using illegal drugs or something like that like i forgot what exactly had come mm-hmm. out but it was something like that and they were like talking about it and they were like oh well uh, well, it just goes to show you he wasn't like as perfect as he, you know, everyone's trying to make him out to be. He's not a saint. And I kind of like, I just kind of like sitting there like quietly. And then I kind of turned around and I was like, well, he still didn't deserve to die. Yeah. You know, like he, a, a co- it doesn't matter what he's doing. He doesn't deserve to die. Like, it just my, ugh, God, anyway. Well, and, but, and that goes back to the cops aren't supposed to kill innocent no, people. Exactly. But the, cops that's, aren't supposed to kill guilty people, exactly. too. You're not an executioner. You're a police officer who's just trying, who just, I don't know. But anyway, so I turned around and said that, and they just both turned at me and they're like that's not what we're trying to say but it fucking is what you're saying it's exactly and then i turn around i was like well then what does it fucking matter what he was doing what does it matter he was on drugs like why why does it matter why are we talking about this because at the again it does that Mm -hmm. is not the police officer's job is to um give judgment on that person they don't, they, he does not decide if this man lives or dies. Mm-mm. So it doesn't matter if he was tripping. It doesn't matter if he was, you know, speeding or doing something illegal mm-hmm. in his car. He doesn't fucking have to die. So don't come at me. <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah. And then they shut down. Like as soon as I said that, they were like, and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> come at me again, bro. It's so interesting. I find the people who have the rhetoric of, um, similar to the people at your work yeah who are like oh well you know he wasn't as perfect or all this stuff they are okay they are the same people 
who make snowflake comments, (sighs) but they are also the same people that when challenged get their feet, get offended and have their feelings hurt and shut down. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, you don't get to call me a snowflake and say that I'm sensitive and then you can't even have a decent conversation. Yeah. Like, let's talk about it. We trying, we trying to talk. Okay. We trying to have a conversation. I'm not trying to like come at you. I'm I'm just trying trying to engage. Yeah. Like literally anytime, like I have a conversation with someone about like anything like this or anything political, like I'm never trying to like come at you. But the second you start getting defensive, I'm going to come at you. I'm going to come at you, bro. Like, let's fucking go. Like I see weakness. Oh yeah. Throat. Well, and I think it's because I do a lot of. I can't speak to any kind of experience. I'm a, I'm a white woman. Yeah. I, I am very privileged. I do live and work in policy. Mm-hmm. So I do read a lot of policy yeah. and I understand it fairly easy. Right, right, right. So a lot of my discussion when I make my points comes from a policy standpoint. Um, but I have had to put a gag order on my family. <laughs> <laughs> That I will not talk politics yeah. or work or policy when I am home. Yeah. And it's because of situations like that where they <laughs> shut down, they attack me. And I'm like, I, excuse, I literally went to family vacation last year. <laughs> like we rent a house on the coast and we hermit ourselves. Yeah. Not going to lie. 30 minutes. We get to the house. 30 minutes yep. i'm in a screaming match about white privilege with my aunt and my mother Ugh. screaming match and i it's was like real. it's re- it's, it's re- real it's I'm real i'm just going out there i'm not trying to like it's real oh but uh, here i have the perfect sentence that ties together white privilege and police brutality never once as a white person have i been pulled over and thought to myself i could die here yeah yeah retweet re-fucking tweet Mm-hmm. It's just it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I think a lot of it is um, a lot of my, f- and I, I'm I'm gonna go with like immediate family. Mm-hmm. They've not left central or Texas, like really, like they, yeah. they've been a couple of places, sure, but they've never like lived not in Texas, right? They haven't gotten that other point of view, so they've never lived like I lived in D.C. Yeah. And I've, you know, and, and I would, I will say Austin is a different animal. Yeah. yeah, It's a different universe than the rest of Texas. But like, I, I will go different places and I've traveled through my work and I've talked to different people with different views and just like been, try to be as open and learn as much as possible. And so, yes, I can have these conversations, but I feel like because they haven't left or haven't like spent a lot of time away from Central Texas. Yeah. They're so sucked into that viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, I I think my perspective changed a lot just like after attending college, just going to college, moving to Lubbock. Like oh, yeah. I never went to DC or anything, but like after I came, I went to college, like I, and just went somewhere else and met people with different perspectives mm-hmm. on that. Um everything changed for yeah. me. I understood. I felt like the world had opened up. Yeah. I was like, oh. And I also feel like we're we're both at a point um, where we're kind of coming into our opinions and our thoughts and our feelings. Absolutely. And, and, and also, this is not to say that anyone who doesn't have an opinion on something, that opinion can't change. Oh, no. I, opinions are supposed to be fluid yeah. at, and they're supposed to be formed. They're formed based off of the information and experiences that we have. And so as you gain more experiences and more information, your opinion is allowed to change. And I think a lot of people, especially older generations, forget that. Absolutely. And they... And then and they get mad at us. They get and mad. Millennials have enough social anxiety. We have enough trauma about our low-rise genes. <laughs> Just leave us leave alone. Leave us alone. So yes, it's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. So to loop it back around, um, don't be like David Koresh, <laughs> or don't follow a David Koresh. Yeah, don't follow a David Koresh. Don't follow a David Koresh. And if someone suggests child bride, no, run. And Far notif- fucking away. Run, but also like notify the authorities. Run while you're on the phone with nine one one. Hey, like, <sighs> hey, <laughs> like, I need to <sighs> tell you something. Hold <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, on, catch me. <sighs> okay, this is important. <laughs> there Sorry. are child brides. Yeah, if if someone suggests child brides, 
Get no. away. It's just the I answer is you, no. I promise you, no good can come from no a child. No good bride. ever comes from a child. Literally, bride. let them, let them play. Let them be children. Let them be children. Let them play with their Polly Pockets. I don't know oh, what. Pockets. What are the kids doing these days? Um, uh, telling us not to wear uh, high rise jeans. That's what that they're doing. You know legit, what? No, legit. The kids are on the TikToks doing the dancey dance, and they're telling us to wear low rise jeans. Leave the TikTok kids alone. Leave them alone. Let them leave dance. them alone. Let them have their dance. Let them make fun of us. I'll leave it. You know what? I'll even concede as long as you fucking leave them alone. Exactly. God, fuck. <laughs> How did we get here? What year is it? <laughs> I've been here for ages. Oh my god! Okay. <sighs> you feel better? No. no, no, I didn't think so. No, is your day ruined? Yeah, I think we succeeded in that. Oh, good. So, well, uh, good job. Thank well, you. That's good. Thank you. Um, I feel rage. Yeah, which I, feel I can like do it's that. A, yeah, I feel like that's a a recurring theme. <laughs> Uh, this podcast yeah. is Anna just like getting red eyed rage, rage, fucking rage, rage, rage. Oh, it's one of my favorite quotes from Big Mouth. <laughs> We're back to Big Mouth. <laughs> rage, rage, fucking rage. It's me. It's me every time we record. Uh, well, mm. Mm. and on that note, mm. <laughs> this episode has taken a very weird we turn. Derailed so far, but you know what? It's a good. It is what it is. It was a great conversation. Good discussion. Yeah. Read this book that I told you about earlier. Yeah. Say it again. What's the name of it again? It is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. Woot. Patoot. Woot, woot. Patoot. Um, <laughs> follow us on the Instas, on the Twitters, on the TikToks. Um, like, subscribe. Five stars. And for everyone out there, if you have suggestions or feedback, um, yes. email us at ruinyourdaypodcast at gmail.com. Just, you know what? Send us a note. Say yeah. hi. We're I here for say, it. I want to say hi to you. We want to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. I would love to be your buddy. I would love to be your buddy, especially if you're a Branch Davidian. No, I don't want to be your buddy, but I want to know more about you. Yeah, we want to talk to you. I would love to talk to you and hear more about this. So mm-hmm. please. Definitely. Please. So much. Wild shit. Yep. Another yeah. day, another dollar. Uh, yep. We did it again. Did the damn thing. Did the damn thing. Well, in that, uh, on that note, uh, love you. Good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs>